most people are stupid. And fake news makes sure that they stupidly voted for a lunatic. Oh, yeah? Well, fake news is just a construct made up by a bunch of snowflake cucks. Well, if you think fake news is fake, then unfriend me. Hi, welcome to Unfriend Me, everyone. Scott Johnson here with Justin Robert Young. Good morning, afternoon. How are you? What I love about our intro is that it, it starts off with this this tremendous verbal violence, right? And then, like, almost as if you are, like, waking up from a dream or you died and gone to the afterworld. There is just this dreamlike 70s strumming. Yeah, it's great. It's, it's exactly the tone we're trying to strike. I think it's worked out real good so far. And I would like to welcome everyone back who might be new to the show after last week's bombastic look at uh, hardcore issues, uh, what was it last week? Oh, safe spaces. Safe spaces and, and being triggered. That apparently yeah. triggered a lot of response. And we'll get to some of that response here in a second. Uh, but today, just to give you a little, uh, a little preview, all about fake news, the origin of the term, uh, how far it goes back, much further than you might think, folks, and uh, its usage today and what it might all mean. In fact, we have a we have a special quote from a, a guest on the show who's going to set it up for us. Here it is. You are fake news. There you go. So we got that going for us. We'll get to that later in the show. But Justin, clearly, surely, and I can't imagine why we wouldn't have gotten a bunch of feedback for last week's Safe Spaces Focus. I know. Hey, uh, trigger warning on emails because uh, we got a ton of them that I came in over the last week. Uh, again, listen, it bears mentioning and I think it happens every single week that the volume of reaction we get for this show is not only gigantic compared to a new show, but I think it it rivals the kind of stuff that we get in for our other stuff that's been going on for years, right? Oh, yeah, without question. I don't know. <clears throat> well, I do know what's going on. People, These are issues people are, are concerned about. These are the topics of our day. They're the things that are shaping uh, the sort of human social interaction conversation around the world, especially here in the States. And so we're ringing a bell, I guess. Yeah. And the emails are proof of that. So uh, keep those coming. And as another reminder, and Justin makes this almost every week, and I'll do it again this week, uh, TLDR, you know, keep them as short as you can. Oh, we my know. God. Listen, <laughs> I'm just going to let you know. I, I might just stop reading these emails halfway through because we just got so many of them, and they're all really good. But if the end of your email is, sorry, man, I couldn't do a TLDR for you, then you should just write it as, sorry, man, I understand why you can't read this on the show. <laughs> uh, because uh, there are so, so, so many coming in. And, and by the way, that is just to say we want to get your opinion on here. Help me out, please, please. I don't want to butcher your opinion. So here we go. Let's start with Glenn. I agree with Scott that empathy is a great thing. I just want to give a caution that when we give empathy for thing one but not empathy for thing two, that sends a much stronger message than we might intend. That difference, like income inequality, has a multiplier effect. That's the big issue with trigger warnings, that you're making a choice on what's legitimate and what's illegitimate, and that latter category can have a real impact on people. I'm not saying they're a bad thing. I'm just saying that we need to be careful about them. I completely agree with Glenn. Uh, and it also, um, it, it seems to be contradictory and somebody will come out with strong empathy toward one side of a thing and none for the other side. Um, that is That implies the other side is completely wrong and has no no uh you know nothing to say in the argument and that can be bad that can be dangerous in lots of ways uh completely agree with him brian wrote in says 
No one I know is saying sympathy to someone in pain is bad uh, or saying sympathy for someone in pain is bad. However, where it is taken too far is when you can't function as a person because you've caused yourself to believe that the world is too scary for you and you cannot function. These people are not faking it. They honestly believe they are being traumatized. Case in point, my 17-year-old nephew came down to my collectibles and noticed something out of place. He said that it triggered him over and over. I'm not sure what that means. But anyway, the issue I have is when people use it as a crutch to not live their lives. You both read it multiple times. Triggered is when somebody causes you to have a reaction to a traumatic event in your past. My 17-year-old nephew did not have a traumatic experience with action figures. What I'm trying to say is it, it already is being blown out of proportion. I think we all have compassion for those who have led difficult or had difficult experiences in life, but saying those people should live in bubbles because they might get sad over a non-medically diagnosed trauma is pushing it too far. Indeed, that is where we get the term snowflake. When you simply say sans any medical or actual mental diagnosis trauma, that the world is too much for you and you're always being triggered. Uh, in a blanket, yeah. in a blanket way, sure. I'm not sure that holds up when talking about individuals because every every case is different. But I, I take his point. Here's here's a, the big thing that I took from that is that we. I, I'm not saying that anybody is wrong in what they do, nor am I saying that the people who say that there is an overdiagnosis of trauma to the point where trigger warnings can be overused in too large of an area can be harmful. I do honestly believe that if you are saying an entire college campus is a safe space for a certain kind of thing, or you continue to add restrictions on that, then it can degrade conversation. Mm. I very, I, I do believe that. However, there was a lot of the emails and a lot of the reaction that we got that were like, I know exactly what's in this other person's head. And I think that is a, also a dangerous idea to have yep. that like, Oh, well, but they're not doing it for real. Right. Mm -hmm. They're just doing it for attention. And that's, that's curious. Uh, yeah. Rich wrote, I think my main issue with safe spaces and trigger warnings are how they are used uh, as a cudgel. Great word. <laughs> by people who try to stop using other people from having a different opinion. As someone who has some college, uh, who uh, an example is how some college campuses would all but shut down right before last year's election if somebody simply wrote Trump 2016 in chalk on campus sidewalk. More than one actual investigation by campus police was done into a response about people being triggered by this, quote unquote. IMO, this is done just to silence dissenting opinion. Um, yeah, I mean, I don't know that it's to silence it. I mean, um, I mean, it's it's weird. Like usually, when a opposing party, say in an election, wins something, the people who lost, they're not happy about it. They might complain about it. Uh, they might, you know, never during their four to eight years of office ever agree with anything that happens. Uh, just out of principle or just out of party line or whatever. This particular time, this happened in a way that made a lot of people feel like the world might end based on this. The 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 extremity of the change that was Donald Trump coming into office. And so I think people maybe, a lot of people probably took that too far. But again, this depends on individuals. And that's why I think it's both dangerous to judge them all. It's also dangerous for a school to say, uh, you know, should should basically shut down discussion because some people are a little bit sensitive to it. Kind of goes both ways. So, uh, so I agree with this person, but at the same time, it kind of it goes the other way as well. I guarantee you, there are some people 
who I cannot get into their own heads. I can't tell what they're feeling or thinking, but they're going to be people, perhaps uh, females, who who's the very idea of what they see as a sexual predator being in office is enough to truly trigger them and make things traumatic because they themselves have experienced something in that vein. They may see this as that big a deal. So seeing yeah. the words Trump 2016 on the sidewalk and knowing there's an incumbent or rather a, um, a president-elect coming in that is a confessed uh, you know, abuser of relationships between men and women is enough for those people. And I'm not, I, I don't know how I could pretend to get into their head and say, it's not enough or it is too much. You know what well, I mean? He, he was saying he was saying that it was before last year's election. So uh, no matter how odious you might think that Donald Trump is as a person, and that is up to your own, uh, you know, salt to taste, basically. But there is no doubt that it was Trump versus Clinton and right. that politically there were activists on either side that actively wanted to promote their candidates. Right. Right. And. You know, for uh, for for things that people found incredibly negative about Trump, which, you know, full disclosure, I did not vote for either because I could enumerate in, <laughs> you know, a tremendous list what I didn't like about both of them. But I can understand that that's what politics is, is get out there and and let people know that there are other people that share these values. So you should go out and represent these values as well. Yeah, so totally. That, that, that I do think is, is, is questionable. I agree. Timothy Rodin says, just listen to safe spaces. And I think you guys didn't quite touch on the real problematic end result of these practices and why the sane opponents of them find them troubling. I says, there's always nut jobs on both sides of the aisle. And I, I agree with him there. Uh, the problem I see with trigger warnings in college courses is, or on college campuses, I think is what he means, is what you do with the person who decides they will be triggered, or what do you do with them? Are they exempt from learning the material? Uh, is the goal to just give them early warnings so that the student can mentally prepare for the next class? Uh, then it's fine, but I, it almost definitely doesn't stop there. In a similar way, safe spaces are problematic when an entire college deems itself a safe space and decides that the discussion of non-PC IDs is, is taboo because it shuts down actual discourse and encourages students to shut themselves down from exploring new ideas and the possibility that people who disagree with him might actually be good people and just see things differently. A safe space could be a specific venue for discussing your problems among empathetic people, but it should, and it should end there and not be a place that offers you a sheltered life away from normal society unless you actually face serious physical harm when you walk out the door. All right. So I don't know if I expressed this last week very well. Yeah. I'm with Timothy on this. I I probably never actually said the words, but I'm going to say them now. I don't think you, I think safe spaces, and in fact, my original understanding of the definition before we got into all of this and before yeah. I more understood it, I always thought what that meant was it was a safe place for all sides to express themselves. I thought that's what people no. are talking about. And it's not that. It's no. not that at all. So there, therein lies the controversy. If it was that, then who would care? Um, but I was surprised when I learned that. I felt a little naive about it. But uh, Timothy, I, I'm kind of on Timothy's side. So all of you guys who think I'm some sort of pinko liberal, which sometimes happens on the show, which is really weird for me to hear because I don't <laughs> think I'm that at all. 
Uh, I mean, again, again, somebody looks like Che Guevara and lives in Oakland, California, <laughs> and the other one is the father of three who lives in Salt Lake City, Utah, and and for whatever reason, you get to be the flower child, and I'm uh, Sean Hannity. Yeah, I don't get it. It's really weird how that <laughs> happens, but, but also I think that over time, people will see how it's difficult to pigeonhole us, and by thereby hard to pigeonhole any of you including Timothy here, or including yeah. the people Timothy's talking about. That's kind of the point of this show. And I would just say that my stance is always, let's be able to talk, discuss, share opinions and thoughts without being, uh, being, having the, the, the specter of death hanging over us if someone disagrees too much. And that's what I thought safe spaces were. That's not what they are. And I'm with Timothy. They shouldn't be this other thing. So if I didn't make that clear last week, that is my stance if people are looking for Scott to actually take a stance on this one, my stance is that open discussion trumps everything. No pun intended. Uh, and 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 by the way, uh, we're actually going to get into this in a little. I'm going to skip down to William. Uh, as a left-leaning centrist, I do agree with Scott's idea that safe, uh, uh, that safe spaces, as he identifies them, would be a good thing to have. I really don't have a problem with trigger warnings in general. Where I do see a problem is when colleges are trying to make a whole campus a safe space. To me, that's in contrast of what a college is Four, uh, learning is constantly challenging your ideas about things that are uncomfortable for you. If you can't handle that, then I think that you sh uh, that you should wait to be in college. Mm. Yeah, I could. I mean, I don't know the, the the idea that college is this demarcation, like this point. Of well, I mean, listen, this came up a lot, right? And and yeah. uh, in in a lot of our feedback that this is a college centric issue, and. I'm not going to deny that there is not a college-centric issue, but here's what I would like to posit to everybody that has listened to this show and has an opinion on it. Let's also understand, as a private school graduate, a private college graduate, uh, that maybe the people who run these colleges are not the best leaders, and maybe that uh, uh, the, uh, the these colleges in general uh, are very, very volatile places wherein. Uh, rules change and uh, a lot of very uh, chesty young people uh, will affect their reality. And that is part of the reason why they are there. Uh, there is a reason why uh, colleges have been labeled as ivory tower liberal elite factories for decades now. Mm -hmm. And uh, the, the idea that this is happening, I don't know if it is necessarily surprising, uh, but I think that there is a lot going on in, in the college system right now, down to the fact that less people are going because it is so expensive. And mm -hmm. college, by and large, in my opinion, is a bit of a, a sham. I, I really don't think that it is as good as people make it out to be. Uh, there is There are many, many times that I regret the amount of money that I spent on college and the great value that I got out of it was not from my courses. It was from other stuff that I did. And I very much found that a lot of my courses were you know, affected by a political issues and b professors who just really weren't all that good right. and and were 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 not fantastic. And the best colleges that you can, the best thing you can ultimately say about a college is that effectively you are joining a gang for which other gang members will recognize your affiliation on a resume. Yeah. That's the biggest thing. Yeah, I I agree uh, with everything you said, including the sham bit. Um, I uh, I think that it's it, it is important though to look at college as much as it kind of goes against what I just said about it, whether or not it's this point of of uh, contention like right then in college is where everything starts to matter and where all uh, opinions are formed and where all sides are taken 
Um, it does have his historical significance. If you just look at the Vietnam War and its protests, uh, those for and against and all, and all that, so much of that happened in and around college campuses. Uh, so much happened in, in terms of riots and actual violence uh, with students uh, around the world, uh, Tiananmen Square, and anything happens happens in other uh, struggling governmental systems or even democracies where there's a lot of uprising. It's almost always college students. Um, so there's something there. It probably has more to do with the fact that their developmental sort of human thing is right around that age. And they are hitting a place where they are forming these opinions and they're feeling very strongly about certain things. Whereas up till then, it was just all about how late can I stay up and dad can I borrow the car? So things yeah. change at that point. And, I, and, I, and I'm sure there's lots of sociological data that we could look at that would help explain it. But I don't know if there's ever getting around that, despite the fact that I agree that it's completely sometimes. Well, I shouldn't it's say completely a shame. Uh, 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 colleges oftentimes can feel like a carnival that realize they can build people for more money if they stayed in the same town. <laughs> That's a really good point. Uh, I think we should hear from one, uh, one of these from another side of things. Aaron wrote in, says, I felt the need to offer my two cents on the topic of safe, safe spaces. As a transgender woman in the United States, I am often the ridicule of many around me and constantly on guard from the world at large. While I fully agree that sheltering people from the evils of the world can be detriment, detrimental and people need to learn how to be tough, safe spaces are essential in the trans community and for many others. If I didn't have so-called safe spaces to explore my gender and question societal norms about the fear of ridicule or physical harm, which unfortunately has happened, I am not sure I would ever have become comfortable with myself to be able to be a confident woman that I am today. I guess the point I'm trying to make is that safe spaces are essential for people exploring new ideas or when they need a break from the BS in our society. She cited my example about the soldier who needed a break from uh, soldiering. Uh, but people also need to realize that eventually those training uh, wheels need to come off and you, uh, if you are a healthy contributing member of society... There's a great place to visit, but I would rather want, I would rather, or I wouldn't want to live there because it's unrealistic of our world to think we will never uh, not be ridiculed, uh, regardless of race, gender, sexuality, pol political opinions, etc. Uh, I agree with that. But again, she is looking at safe spaces in the way that I was looking at them. And again, somewhat naively in the beginning, that safe spaces just meant cooperation and tolerance from everyone. That's not what, it's not what they are. So it's it's still complicated. I mean, we we didn't solve that problem last week. We're certainly not going to solve it this week. Um, but I wish that's what it was. What it what what I want it to be is some cowboy from Texas who grew up uh, with all sorts of norms that are different than hers, and then her in in the same cafeteria being able to sit and have a conversation and do that without the repercussions that come from their their the level of their disagreement. Yeah, that's just naive for us to want that a and B. That's not what safe spaces are. Safe spaces are well, we're going to make it so everything's cool for you as the transgender woman. And now Cowboy's going to have to go find, you know, his fun someplace else. And if, yeah, if if there's, you know, certain elements for which he does not abide. Right. right. Or or certain thoughts that he does not abide by. Right. Right. Uh, well, here, I'll, I'll, this was one of my favorite emails. Chris uh, is, is an Australian uh, gay guy who believes that LGBT QI safe spaces are very, very important. And he went further into this email to talk about how, look, gay bars in what he referred to as the deep north Australia uh, are, are many times physically uh, way stations for uh, gay Australians because there's a lot of gay panic laws, apparently legacy still on the books, where if all of a sudden 
somebody is 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 near you, they have a legal defense if they punch you in the head or worse, mm. right? Because mm-hmm. ah, geez, you coming on to me? Gay panic? Ah, punch <laughs> you in the head? Uh, or like, oh, I might. Ah, you're gay. Right. Uh, but he went on to say, one annoying thing though is the growing trend of quote unquote allies making our safe spaces a sideshow. Hens nights are particularly bad. They want a safe space away from straight guys, ca- straight guys causing them trouble. Uh, and then treat gay guys like toys for their amusement, which can be intrusive and very offensive. And when straight friends come to the gay bar with their gay friends but are offended and occasionally get violent if somebody from the bar flirts with them, it must be an odd feeling for people in the mainstream to have their societal norms completely flipped. But they need to remember that they are a guest in this safe space, not an owner, and to leave if they are uncomfortable. Good intentions, just bad response, I guess. It's weird that we want our safe space, but also feel intruded on when other marginalized groups want to co-opt it, some innocently, some not, for their own uses. It's kind of the whole thing, isn't it? <laughs> Listen, there is an entire, again, this is what I wanted to get uh, across <laughs> in, this, in, this, in this episode last week, was that there is tremendous criticism to the idea of safe spaces and trigger warnings, and it does not just come from talk radio, okay? Yeah. Like, there is... Uh, plenty of writing, plenty of dissent from the left, from marginalized communities who believe that the creation of very specific deli thin slice safe spaces uh, do not help an intersectional uh, evolution of marginalized groups as a whole. Yeah. Yeah, that's uh, really well put. Jeff Rodan, final email, says, just wanted to comment on Scott's belief of universal unity during our Revolutionary War. I live in southern Ontario, Canada, an area that received a large population boost from the United Empire Loyalists. Rather, uh, These folks were loyal to the crown and were forced out of the United States at the time. Uh, they largely ended up in the maritime provinces and uh, Quebec, but were instrumental in setting uh, or settling in southern Ontario. This was not a small number of people, but a major migration. I have yet to talk to an American who has ever taught about this in your educational system. Uh, I would also be included in that. I've never even heard of this. But rather, uh, they were told this utopian fantasy of common cause uh, that united this fledgling uh, nation. I, I mean, really, how how often are all people united on anything? It's a really good point. The winner's right history. I totally get it. But um, This was... This was- Maybe your most curious hot take of all time. (laughs) I don't, I did not quite understand it when you said it. uh, uh, And I was very excited that Jeff wrote in with the, you know, some, some of the receipts from our, I'm glad that he did because I'm glad that he called me on it. Cause it's, it's a generalization I sometimes make and that I, and I regret when I do it and I don't always notice that I'm doing it, but I've bought into, especially as a, as a young, very young person, I used to really buy into this idea not of manifest destiny, but this idea that that we were all here working together and the crown was oppressing everybody and there was no nuance to that. It was like we were all on one side. It was like day after 9-11 kind of stuff in my head. Um, and even that, by the way, is a myth. There's no such thing as every single human being, even on this continent or in this country, was 100% united the day after 9-11 or the day of 9-11. That is By not the, true. You want to know where people, uh, and 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 although I am sure that they felt uh, tremendous sympathy for all the lost life and, and uh, you know, uh, suitably humanly reacted to the carnage that was caused on 9-11, uh, the people that were not thrilled uh, the, uh, the, the day after it happened were the people that I was standing with in security lines mm. uh, trying to fly back and forth because as a swarthy, uh, bearded, college student going back and forth you know this random system really
really surefire happened to gather me and a bunch of other bearded, uh, uh, darker-skinned people and one white grandma. That was that was it. There were a lot of people that were like afterward that were of uh, Islamic descent or or Sikh or Indian mm-hmm. or or you know Philippines, whatever, whatever uh, that you, you might have. That were like, man, life's gonna get a little rough for us for a little while. Yeah. This is gonna yeah. be a little. It's gonna be rough. Yeah. So that kind of unity is 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 a bit of a myth and i was and and he's right that i was i i I had expressed yet another it's this weird little hopeful thing i have in me that we're all in it together when i know i know it's not true okay i know i'm not that naive but i do let it leak out sometimes especially in a show where you know the issues are big and trying to make sense of it and you know if i let loose that that everybody you know everybody in the united states at the time of uh our leaving of the of the crown was happy about it or was cool with it. Uh, clearly, that's not ever the case. There's no such thing as absolutes anyway. Uh, so there you go. A great man. The feedback we get on the show is nuts. It's almost like we have two. We have a show. We have different shows, but they they're two parters every week. So last week we had this. We had this part. Uh, we had a show. We had a half an hour on gun control, and yeah. then the and then a preview of a conversation about safe spaces. And now we've finished the safe spaces finally because of their feedback. And now we move on to the preview of what will be a fine discussion about yeah. fake, fake news. Well, and listen, a lot of people are like, oh, no, do it separately. Do it separately. Do like one show and then do the emails and then do the other stuff. And it's like, no, you want to know what? I like this. I like that you have to you got to keep listening. Right. Mm-hmm. Like, yep. you know, you got to hear the feedback on the next episode. And I feel like we're always going to leave you wanting more of this conversation. If you want to be a part of it, then go ahead and uh, join us uh, in my inbox, uh, uh, justinrobertyoung at gmail.com. Put unfriend me in the subject line and uh, you can be a part of this conversation on fake news. And also, let me say this. If you are listening back, again, we've only been around for five weeks. If you listen back to old episodes, uh, email me about those two because I am saving all the unread emails and I think down the road we might do kind of supplementary episodes mm-hmm. with all the unread emails. So if you've got uh, uh, thoughts that you just listened to the episodes on kneeling for the anthem, healthcare, gun control, safe spaces, email those in as well and, and they will be sorted out and we'll probably wind up going back to these uh, either in the main feed or in bonus episodes. All right, now I want to kick this off with a, just a, a excerpt from a remix I found on the internet. So I'm going to play a taste of this, and then we're going to dump, jump right into the the world of fake news. Here you go. It's all fake news. It's all a ruse. Not true. It's all fake news. The news is fake because so much of the news is fake. One of the reasons I'm here today is to tell you the whole Russian thing, that's a ruse. Russia is fake news. Russia, this is fake news. Well, I own nothing in Russia. All right, so there you go. It's pretty good stuff. It goes on for a while. Ah, trap remix. Trap remix of fake news. <laughs> Pretty awesome. Official, straight official, Trumpito. We now live in a we live in a time where the term fake news is not only making the rounds every single day, but also we have a president who, um, I guess not overtly, but pretty much kind of in a couple of interviews, sort of claims lays claim to the term. He, he we are going to get back yeah. to it. We All are going right. to get back to it. But like we like to do on this show, we are going to start from as far back as possible to give you the biggest possible uh, uh, big picture idea of this. First things first, uh, uh, this is from the Wikipedia entry for fake news. Uh, Claire Wardell of First Draft News identifies seven types of fake news. Number one, 
satire or parody, false connections, so when headlines or visuals of captions don't support the content, misleading content, misleading use of information, false content, when genuine content is shared with false contextual information, imposter content, when genuine sources are impersonated, like CNN.co, right? Manipulated content, when genuine information or imagery is manipulated to, to deceive, as in with a doctored photo, or fabricated content. New content, 100% false, designed to deceive and do harm. What we're probably going to focus the most on in this episode is fabricated content and where the uh, where the phrase fake news has kind of gone from there. All right, sounds but, good. No, I, I, I mean, I'm, I want to. I'm just going to make the assumption that it did not start in 2016 uh, with no. this presidential election. That seems like a fair assessment. Well, let's before we get into 2016, let's just understand what this concept really is. It, this is a pejorative used, probably most health, most healthily, to identify content that will not inform us, right, mm. or is actively misleading us. Yeah. Now that construct is very, 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 very important to understand because it will come into play later when we start to talk about the modern context uh, and, and where that comes from and kind of the background to that. But let's first start with what we can understand almost universally now because it's so old with fake news. So here's the earliest that I could find based on this Wikipedia page right. in my two hours of Googling. Okay. During the second and third centuries A.D., False rumors were spread about Christians claiming that they were engaging in uh, ritual cannibalism and incest. In the late 3rd century AD, Christian apologist uh, Lactanic, uh, Lactanius, Lactanius, Lactanius invented and exaggerated stories about pagans engaging of acts of immorality and cruelty, while the active, while the anti-Christian writer Periphany per uh, <laughs> invented similar stories about Christians. Yeah. Uh, we also have uh, Octavian creating uh, a false narrative about Mark Anthony being a puppet and a slave to Cleopatra and just an all-around cuck. <laughs> oh, that word. I love that word. Uh, <laughs> well, I mean, can we use it with Mark Anthony? Yeah, why not? Slur, why right? not? Sure. That guy deserves it a little bit, maybe. I don't there know. Yeah. Uh, uh, in the American colonies, Benjamin Franklin actively wrote fake news about murdering and scalping Indians working for King George in an effort to sway public opinion in favor of the American Revolution. What a lot of this is going to sound like, and indeed it is, is propaganda, right? Stuff that is deliberately written to be slanted or misinformed. Uh, so a, a general uh, a, 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 an issue can be advanced. Probably the biggest the biggest, uh, uh, you know, uh, element of this in modern American history is the USS Maine. Do you remember the Maine, Scott? No, I don't. The USS Maine was best known for her loss in the Havana Harbor in the evening of February 15th, 1898. Sent to protect the U.S. interest in the Cuban revolt against Spain, she exploded suddenly without warning and sank, quick, uh, and sank quickly, killing nearly three quarters of the crew. The cause and responsibility for her sinking remained unclear after a board and inquiry investigated it. Nevertheless, popular opinion in the United States fanned by inflammatory articles printed in the yellow press of uh, William Randolph Hearst and Joseph Pulitzer. Uh, yes, like the Pulitzer, Pulitzer Prize, <laughs> blame Spain. And the phrase, remember the Maine to hell with Spain became a rallying cry for action, which led us into the Spanish-American War. 
<laughs> now, the sinking of the main was not a direct cause for action. It served as a catalyst, accelerating the approach of uh, our two diplomatic yeah, sure. impasse. Listen, there's there's blah, scholars blah, blah, blah. the Spanish-American War that will tell sure. you that maybe it's overblown in right. this idea. However, right. Right. the fact of the matter is, is that we have no proof that Spain sank the main. Right. <laughs> and yet, that was the rallying cry to get us into war. So, when we begin to think about people that are very distrustful of mainstream media... You have to uh, understand, I think, this wider context that is more prescient to some people than it is to other and, uh, and to others. And yes, that can lead the pathway to conspiracy theory. But this kind of stuff has happened in society before. And, and there is a reasonable way to understand it before we get to full blown Alex Jones territory. Yeah, no, for sure. And it, and here's the other thing I always wonder, and I don't know, this makes me either sad or happy. I can't tell which way this makes me feel. But when you had old stories like this and things were happening, even in the old uh, Christian, uh, you know, whatever AD times, uh, it seems like if you're spreading misinformation that can be easily or somewhat easily proved wrong. I, I'm trying to see what the difference is between them and us. If you can prove it wrong, then did people go, oh, well, that was wrong, so I no longer uh, uh, trust that source. Now I only go with the sources I trust, as opposed to today where it feels like it doesn't matter whether it's wrong or right, whether it's true or fake. If you have a certain bent, you're not going to change your mind. And we live in the time of researchable, findable, Everything's online. Everything's possible. Bing, bing. Absolutely. Because yeah. guess what? In all these examples, there was nobody in town square that you could just run up to and ask 24-7, hey, what, what kind of research do we have on this? Mm -hmm. Right? We have that in our pockets now. Yeah. It, it, when, when we talk about fake news and we talk about being swayed, the fact that we are having these conversations is maybe one of the greatest gifts that the internet has ever given us. And the fact that we are wondering how technology continues to fan these flames will never, in my mind at the very least, match up to the fact that we now have a worldwide crowdsourced network for fact-checking, however flawed that system might be. We have a system now. We have a network now. So when we really get into ugly stuff, like Jewish blood libel and the German corpse factories of World War One, we can at least have some recourse without going to a library. You know, that this is accessible at almost the easiest possible barrier, you know, the, the smallest possible barriers we have ever had in human history. Right. That's true. But herein lies the worry. So let me play the other side of the coin because I'm with you on yeah. all that. So I'm just going to play a little devil's advocate here. Now the stakes are a little higher because we all have a walking complete encyclopedia in our pocket that's updated all the time uh we all have this interconnected way of fact checking video proof photo proof everyone's got a camera like we, we're now in that place where all of what you just said is true so to take it to the next level you got to do some serious serious dark fibbery lying shit to get there and to do that and to still convince people that you're saying what you're saying is true means some dark Alex Jones level conspiracy stuff going on. And the question is, is that better? <laughs> in other words, because now we're in this new place of uh, to take it to the unprovable area again, you really got to go out there. And for those who believe that they seem more dangerous because they're unwilling to accept any other 
any, any other uh, statement on the matter. They are only going to take the extreme, weird, psycho, no way this is true, so it must be true path. Yeah. Well, I'll tell you what. When we open up calls, I'm saying, come at me if you believe that this is worse now. I think it is different now, but I, I, I come at me because I am, I am ready. This is something that I do feel very, very passionate about because if what you want to say is that we used to have informed people, well, guess what? One of those informed people was Joseph Pulitzer. To this day, the prize that everybody in the industry I used to be a part of, print journalism, wants to win is what? A Pulitzer, the Pulitzer, a Pulitzer Prize. Prize, yep. Named for the Pulitzer family and, <laughs> and, and the Pulitzer publications. So those were the informed people, and they spread outright lies to get us into a war in Cuba. Yeah, you're absolutely right. Now, uh... Would you say that, and don't worry, we'll take your calls. If you're calling now, don't worry, we'll get to you. Do you think that fake news is I'm the- I'm riling him up. Oh, he doesn't have opinions, <laughs> Justin. You should have more opinions. Guess what? Plenty of opinions. Fake, oh, right, is fake news responsible for Hillary Clinton's loss in her run to the White House? Let me, uh, let, let, let's get into that. In my personal opinion, and this is obviously a newer area, a lot of the times that uh, in the issues that we've dealt with, aside from kneeling for the anthem, uh, uh, there's a lot more historical research and stuff that we can do. So I'm going to rely a little bit more on my first person response uh, as somebody who covered this uh, for politics, politics, politics throughout the last two years. The first time that I remember fake news, quote unquote, becoming a real uh, a talking point mm -hmm. was after the election when there was obviously, and I think this is very healthy, when the first candidate who did not hold public office and did not serve in the military won the presidency of the United States against somebody that was very heavily favored, there was a lot of investigation into how this happened. That, I think, is healthy. One of the biggest things that came up were viral articles shared on Facebook and social media. When I tell you Velez Macedonia... <laughs> You know where that is, Scott. I know where Macedonia is. I do not know where Velez is specifically, but yeah. Well, Velez is where apparently the uh, high school and collegiate uh, of, of a class of young men actively made money up to 30,000 euros a month in creating highly inflammatory, misleading, uh, just completely made up from whole cloth, Hillary Clinton arrested, taken to jail today, Right. Like that kind of stuff yeah. uh, that was shared virally on social media. And these kids literally did it not for the lulls, but for money. Yeah. This was to bring people to websites wherein they could make money on clickbait. Right. Uh, uh, oh, apparently uh, we're, we're saying Belize is, uh, is, is, is the town of Macedonia. Oh. My apologies to Macedonia. This is a quote from a BBC News article where they went to the town to talk to the kids. Teenagers in our city don't care how Americans vote. They are only satisfied when they make money and can buy expensive clothes and drinks. <laughs> all right. I know what Belize is. Uh, all right. So so you could make an argument that, uh, while not the entire picture, obviously, but you could make an argument that there is at least some help from this viral sort of takedown that that helped lead to her not being elected and to Trump being elected. That argument that could be is, made. That's it. That's this thing existed. That is without 
conversation, right? right? I mean, these these kids explained exactly what they did and how they did it and why they did it, which was for expensive clothes and drinks. Yeah, but if you uh, but if you but, ask if you ask some Trump supporter, hey, did all those ads that turns out now are were fake or made up or whatever? Did those have an effect on you? No one's going to ever cop to that. They're all going to well, say, no, I think she's a criminal without it. I don't need it. So now here's but here's where I I don't feel comfortable saying that anything swung anything because. This is where we start to get into the very sticky situation that we are in right now. Were those articles completely fabricated? Absolutely. Were they shared? Absolutely. However, if you look at probably the more sticky situation that we are dealing with right now, which is the current investigation of how Russia uh, affected our election, how Russian state-run Russian uh, uh, issues uh, or state-run Russian agencies uh, affected how people voted. Mm -hmm. A lot of what they did was not necessarily on one side. In fact, there's a fantastic article on the Daily Beast today about how in Staten Island there were a, a, a there was a server that was purchased by Russian interests, or at least uh, parts of it were purchased on Russian interests, or at the very least uh, were was a redirect back to Russia that had inflammatory Black Lives Matter content. That, that there is a lot of argument to be made that what Russia really wanted to do was to spread misleading fake news to inflame and divide us as a country. Right. And to that, I say that there is a more likely uh, cause and effect relationship than to say that any one person got elected or any other person did not get elected. Hmm. Okay. That does wrinkle. Now, that's a new wrinkle that I had not heard yet. So that's now, super interesting. Yeah. To Donald Trump co-opting this phrase. Yeah. Post-election, while all this investigation is going on to understand why this phenomenon happened, right? And this is where Q, all the Trump supporters saying, hey, look, you, you ignored flyover country for so long, and now we came back to bite you in the butt, right? This is all the Bernie voters saying, well, Bernie would have won. All this, right? Right. Donald Trump coming out and saying, you want to call the reason why I got elected fake news? How about we co-opt this understood riff that conservative Americans have had with mainstream media. It is the reason why AM radio is successful. It is the reason why Fox News is, is, is successful, is a suspicion that, as Rush Limbaugh puts it, that uh, they are only Democrats with bylines with the drive-by media. Uh, <laughs> that now the illegitimacy of a journalistic class that, by and large, leans liberal, yeah. cannot give Republicans or Republican interests a fair shake, and therefore, we are going to say that you are illegitimate. Mm. You are fake news because you are inherently biased. That, I believe, is where Donald Trump is, and, and, and the Republican and conservative element is coming from with the idea of fake news. And that when you start to say, as CNN did yesterday, facts matter, an apple is an apple, not a banana, mm. uh, that this is a railroading and a, a failure to listen, a hand-waving at the idea that a core element of the political press is liberal and will always be sympathetic to liberals. Mm. Okay. <clears throat> that uh, is you think that that's wrong? Call in, yeah, email. That yeah. is my best summation. Call right. You know what? Call now is what we're going to say. And the number to call is 801-285-9395. It's right there on the screen if you're watching live. 801-285-9395. We are ready for your calls. I know you're out there because a bunch of you tried earlier uh, during our more informational part of the show. So now's your time to let your thoughts be heard. Let's see if we can get one of these in here right quick. Uh, yep, here we go. Uh, hi, good morning. Who's this? 
Uh, my name is Chris. Hello, Chris. Where are you come from? New Jersey. New Jersey. Let's hear it. What do you got? Uh, one of the things that I've always thought about why she lost the election was, uh, he doesn't like me hung up, um, <laughs> is that uh, Hillary Clinton pissed off a lot of gun-owning Democrats to not vote at all. Mm. Uh but with, with what, like the, was it the deplorable thing, do you think? Was that the, the time? Because I always hear people refer back to that deplorable comment she made. Do you think that was it and it, that was a lot of gun-owning, Second Amendment-loving Americans or what? What I know is I have relatives who live in Pennsylvania, and Pennsylvania still has towns where kids get time off from school for hunting season. Mm -hmm. And two days before the election, Hillary Clinton made speeches about how they're going to revisit the 94 assault weapons ban. And, wow, she lost Pennsylvania. She lost two other blue states that Barack Obama won twice. Mm -hmm. So why? that's one thing I don't think has ever been looked at is she pissed off a large populace of Democrats who generally vote for Democrats because of their view on jobs, but they just couldn't pull the trigger because, I'm sorry for the pun, because <laughs> of her views on firearms. Yeah. Uh, were, were totally vitriolic. She wasn't just saying, well, we got to look at gun control, which is fine. She was like, oh, yeah, we're going to bury this shit. Mm. Sorry. No, no, no. You can Sorry, uh, you can swear on the show anytime you want. It's okay. Yeah, yeah. it's all fine. Uh, Justin, your take? What do you think? Uh, uh, the gun I mean, I, I don't know. I don't know. I mean, I think that this is a this is something that I think we should really do a, you know, if, if, we, if we really want to do a big episode, we can do... The, the 2016 election, <laughs> yeah. you know, uh, uh, I think that there's a lot of stuff there. I don't quite know uh, uh, off the top of my head. I don't know exactly what Hillary Clinton said about the assault weapons ban, but I think that there is ample uh, a voter record uh, to show that she did not pay close enough attention to kind of the, the Joe Biden Democrats in uh, Pennsylvania, Michigan and Wisconsin specifically. I completely agree with that. But also it's, it just brings up this interesting point of you know on the one hand you lean on fake news or or the a concept of fake news and we give it all this power and then i think it's important to at least address it and that's what this caller did this idea that maybe it's other stuff too or it's a whole yeah. other thing no one's talking about because you know you can go so deep with this it gets really weird like well maybe the fake news made up fake news about the fake news like i, I don't know how inception this is going to get but it may get worse before it gets better hi you're on the air who's this Hey guys, it's uh, it's Jonathan again, calling uh, from the lovely Brooklyn, New York. Brooklyn, New York, Jonathan, what's up, buddy? Um, one of the things that struck me about the whole fake news conversation, um, is that in 1986, the awesome band Depeche Mode put out an album called Black Celebration, and they, on that song they had uh, on that album they had a song called New Dress, and the chorus of that is. You can't change the world, but you can change the facts. And when you change the facts, you change points of view. If you change points of view, you may, you may change a vote. And when you change a vote, you may change the world. Mm. Um, and I've always thought that's been interesting, given also that that song came out in 1986. But I think, I think a key component of what we're kind of talking about when we, we talk about the idea of fake news and we talk about the, the sort of endemic suspicion of mainstream media as liberal um, does a disservice to media in general. Um, because by and large, most of the journalists that I know, and even those that are considered, they personally consider themselves liberal, 
are very passionate about the idea of committing to the, their craft, to the idea that they're, what they're writing is what they're writing based on the craft. So I think the concept of liberal bias in the media um, is, is a problem. Um, mm. And that just might be interactions I have with persons that I know living in a, in a city where there's a lot of media outlets, whether it's uh, Condé Nast or Cursed, but it just seems really, yeah. it's kind of disturbing. Sure. You know, you you want to know what? Let me, let me, let me, let me make this point. I am always going to be sympathetic to journalists because it's a field that I grew up loving. It's a field that I still love. It's a field where many of my friends are. It's a field where, uh, I, I, I think that there is a, a lot of, uh, that this can often be overapplied, right? That Mm -hmm. journalists are liberal. Therefore they're going to cover things liberally. However, I'm going to say that journalists have the same burden on them that I hold police to. I I, I believe that police should be respected. I believe that uh, police should uh, uh, be understood to have a very, very hard job. However, because a police officer can shoot somebody and then go home at night and not go to jail, they need to be looked at with tremendous scrutiny. And similarly, a journalist uh, is somebody that has a tremendous platform. And uh, uh, something that I learned in the field was that you can ruin somebody's reputation by screwing up. An honest mistake can can really, really, really uh, irreparably damage somebody's reputation. And if you are not looked at critically, if you are not thought to be, if you are not constantly proving why you are not something, then that is your fault. A, a, a cop should have tremendous respect and also face tremendous scrutiny. I believe that journalists with, with huge platforms need to face the same thing as well. So to me, it is not the problem of people that ha- that have this ability or have this thought that journalism is liberal leaning. I might disagree with it in many ways. I do, but it is up to the journalists to continue to do the kind of work that can refute it. And it is one of my personal pet peeves, and I think it does not serve journalism at all when journalists are are put up as warrior Christ figures of truth that can descend on high and, and sort things out for us. They're human beings like everybody else, and they're doing a very, very hard job, and they, they need to continue to work hard for it. Because if we don't, then yes, we're going to continue to get misinformation, and the facts will dictate what our society is. Yeah. Even though, even though this whole, hey, it's a banana, not an orange, an orange is an orange, not a banana, that whole attitude, I understand it. I, I in many ways... I'm a fan of that simplicity of just saying, look, it is, it is either a thing or it isn't a thing. But I, what I respect is when I see reporters or news organizations on any side of whatever aisle anyone may think they're on, just put their heads down and do good journalism. That's all I care about. And it always shows. So in the end, I'm optimistic about that because in the end, that's usually what stands up. Now, I know a lot of people are afraid of a time that we live in now where if the president says something's fake, his sizable base goes, well, then it's fake. And it doesn't matter what you say, it'll be fake to them. No matter what you say, how you say it, where you say it, they'll have a reason to say that it's fake. That does feel like a new twist in this thing. Um, But really, the new twist is just Trump's personality. That's really the new twist. And so we're not used to that yet. It's freaky. It makes us think, oh, my gosh, how many people really think this way? How many Alex Joneses are there out there? Like, there's all of these fears that play on people. But at the end of the day, the ones I watch, the ones I, I respect, and the ones I, I look to during these times are the ones that are just getting the work done and making it happen and follow their 
you know, follow their gut and write the articles they're going to write. And that's, that is in the end, what matters to me uh, from a, just from a personal observation here. Um, but I'm also somebody who reacts very emotionally to all this weirdness as well. So I don't know, a good journalist is, is, is important and we need them and holding them up on a pedestal to be greater than they are is probably not good for that. Uh, we've got another caller on the line. Who's this? Uh, Doug. Doug, where are you calling from, Doug? Uh, Alabama. Alabama, Justin. Woo! Alabama. Yeah. There we go. We like Bama. Hey, uh, uh, roll roll Tide or gone. War Eagle, to your taste. Yeah. Yeah, it's Roll Tide. You got to go with that. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I'd like, I'd like to move the conversation away from dopey Alex Jones and Facebook posts uh-huh. and go more to real news, CNN, uh, MSNBC, Fox, and New York Times. Yep. And get your journalistic impressions on unnamed sources. And is it happening more now than it used to? Some have always wondered, is one unnamed source better or worse than five unnamed sources? Well, this is interesting. This is, no, this is a really good question. How you think that goes? I think that's a really good question. And Justin, you've had experience in this field. So yeah. what is... First of all, what is an unnamed source and why why is it why now does uh, everyone snicker at that because they all don't trust it? So I have heard a rumor that uh Scott ate all the pie. <laughs> right? Yeah, there's and some so reason now, to believe there's some reason you have some reason to feel that way, but go ahead. I have some reason to believe that Scott Johnson ate all the pie. Okay. So I am going to report on my Twitter account that Scott ate all the pie. But however, I need to make sure that this is correct. So I call your wife, Kim, yeah, and I email your daughter, Carter, and I say, hey, did, do you believe your dad ate all the pie? And maybe there's like, yeah, you know, I'm kind of sure. And then Carter emails me back and says, you want to know what? I saw him eat all the pie, but he's going to be mad at me if I put my name on it. So <laughs> you, can, you can say that he ate all the pie, but you can't say who said it. Right. So I will now report a source with first-hand knowledge that saw Scott eat all the pie reports that he ate all the pie. Right. Now, here's ultimately what unnamed sources do. They are taking out credit on the reputation for which publishes them because the process by which a, an unnamed source should happen, or at least I have always understood it to happen, is that the reporter goes to their editor or the publisher, shares the information about the unnamed source, the editor or the publisher independently contacts that unnamed source, to see whether or not verbatim they have the exact same story, mm -hmm. at which point a decision is made within the organization to run that unnamed source. Now, that was in a more traditional newspaper sense, obviously in an era of blogs and Twitter and stuff like that. There's a lot more that kind of goes a little bit more loosey-goosey. Sure. But I very much believe that if we think of it as you're always taking out a loan on your institution's reputation, then if all you do is take out loan after loan after loan after loan, and let's say some of these things are very speculative and these things get reversed or these things get changed, and now the report that you put out there based on that loan has crashed, then you have forever lost an element of your institutional respect. And that is something that I think specifically at the very beginning of this administration was all too rampant, mm. that, there was, that there was tremendous chaos in the White House, which... A is expected because new presidents have chaos in their West Wing. B was probably expected to be worse than normal because this person had never held office before, so they just don't know 
about firsthand how to do it, but it was also an extremely contentious election. And we just got the blow by blow by everybody who wanted to let everybody else know that they were screwing up. Yeah. And, and those stories I think did erode. I think a lot of people ran way too loosey goosey with it uh, a lot. And most of them were television news outlets uh, that I thought were, and I talked about this a lot on politics, 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 that I thought that there were a lot of reports that I think were just stupid and, and are the reason why people don't trust certain outlets. Mm-hmm. I, I think you're right. Um, I will say this though, that was made more amplified. I mean, if it had been, let's say there was only one story ever made where one unnamed source was mentioned in the West wing that said things are chaos. Let's say that that was the, the case. That was not yeah. the case. It was way more than that, but let's say it was one person and let's say it was the New York times who said an unnamed source says, and that's what they said. I don't know that it would have mattered. Uh, we've seen a pattern of behavior where Trump will seize on those things and go, well, who's the unnamed source? There's too much of that in journalism today. Fake news, fake news. And they, you know, would have walked out. Like, I think it, no matter what it would have made that stir, the, the, the industry, uh, that being journalism did not do itself any favors by having way too many unnamed sources to answer this caller's other question though, about what about CNN? What about MSNBC? What about Fox? And what about, you know, mainstream, cable news and network news, that sort of thing. I don't think, I think there's, that stuff's all blurred together for me now because now they're having to play the game that everyone else plays. In many ways, cable news is the game everyone has to play. But they're all having to play in the same place because Twitter and Facebook and Breitbart and a thousand other blogs and some AM radio show and some FM radio show, these guys are all now vying for the ears and the eyeballs. So... They have to play in the same playground. They don't get to be atop some grand, untouchable space and go, well, here I am upon my pillar, and I, I, NBC News, feel I don't need to go down to where they're all fighting about who gets what story and what because we're traditional news. It doesn't work that way anyway. The financial matter or the financial reality is they all have to play in the playground. And so <laughs> I don't hold them to any greater or lower standard than anybody else. Oh, no, I, I think television news is garbage in general. I, I, I don't like it. I've never liked it. This is a bias that many print journalists have, print journalists have and you can uh, take me uh, uh, for that. But I believe that television news is inherently the, the best thing that television news could ever give us was very, very quickly uh, reproduced images and pictures, mm -hmm. or sorry, uh, videos and pictures, and now the internet uh, took over that. So they are they are a, a, the the third nipple of American media. Indeed, I love a good third nipple. Hi, you're on the air. Who's this? Hi, this is uh, you guys might know me for Guido from the uh, chat. Oh, hello, Guido. Guido, good to have you here, yeah. buddy. Where are you from? Uh, Seattle. Seattle. All right, here nice. we go. Noted, noted home of many Guido. <laughs> <laughs> oh, yes, yes, exactly. No, also... I'm actually from uh, originally from Connecticut. Anyways. Um, so I actually kind of want to build upon what Scott was just kind of saying as far as like how everybody now has to play in the same pool, if you will. Yeah. Um, because it's like, I think every, yeah, everybody's fighting for the, for the same space. Everybody's fighting for, for eyeballs, but like it, now that I'm on now, I don't know what I wanted to say. <laughs> it's, uh, all, it's, it's all right. You keep, uh, you're, you're doing great. Um, <laughs> I mean, the, yeah, I don't know anymore. I'm sorry, guys. I just <laughs> oh, it's fine, man. No, you're, you're totally good. If you think of it, call back. Yeah, you're, you're fine. Okay. No worries. No worries. Uh, 
I mean, A, it's good to hear from the West Coast, by the way. We hadn't get enough West Coast today. It's all the East Coast. But uh, secondly, and more to that point, like the idea that that there is a standard, how do I put this? Like when I was a kid, I'd see somebody like Dan Rather, okay? And there's a certain majesty to Dan Rather, or there was when he was on the evening news. He would come on, I would be a kid, and I would see this man, and he would say, <clears throat> uh, big trouble in the Balkans or whatever it was he was talking about. And you'd be like, oh man, this is a newsman in a suit in a studio that looks really rad and they're all serving him and it looks yeah. real great. And and you put them in this place that's like this select thing. It's like a special place. And I bought into the, the visual really is what that comes down to. As I've gotten older, I've realized eh, everyone's just kind of doing the same thing and they're all kind of full of shit and they all kind of want the same ends. But within these organizations, there are good uh, good journalists who are trying to do good work and are trying to stick to the standards that they believe will help elevate uh, their career, but also elevate the, the science of it or the, the craft of it. And they work really hard to do that. The problem is right now that they'll get, call- get called fake as quickly as anybody else, given the current climate. It used to be you'd hear a negative story and you'd go, oh, well, let's look into it and see what we can find out. Now it's just, oh, it's not in our favor, then it's fake. Oh, it's in our favor, then we like them. And the binary binary state of that right now is what's bugging me. Again, but I think part of the issue here is that we are just now working through something that has been there in conservative orthodoxy for decades. Yeah. Right? And and I'm glad you brought up Dan Rather. Yeah. Because Dan Rather's career ended – because he very stubbornly yep. fell for a hoax and then defended it haughtily <laughs> on the highest pulpit. Yep. His he, career ended because he got fooled. His organization got fooled by something that the Internet figured out in minutes. Yeah. And uh, that for those of you who uh, memo gate the, the, the stuff with George W. Bush's uh, uh, deferral papers for the Texas Air National Guard. Go ahead and look it up. Yeah, it's uh, worth looking up for sure. This is this is part of the reason why, again, conservative media has thrived by saying, look, that guy's career ended and everyone just kind of moves on. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Oops, we got something wrong. Sure, we defended it. And it was only because the Internet was around that they hammered and hammered and hammered until they were forced to say that that was wrong. But if that was uh, the, the election prior or two elections prior before there was a blogosphere, would that have gone unchallenged? Yeah. Would Pro- we still think to this day that that uh, those those documents were real? Probably. There's a lot of evidence to say yes. Yeah, I think I agree with that. And then that's why I like again, it's it's hard to see it, but there's a there's a real bright there's a silver lining to all of this in a way because this this kind of I mean the conversation's vitriolic and angry and and sometimes gets violent, but it's it, it's not a conversation you would have had 30 years ago. You just wouldn't have had the opportunity. You wouldn't be able to 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 look at it that way. Uh, we got a caller on the line. Who is this? Uh, this is Joe from Indianapolis. Hello, Joe from Indianapolis. Mike Pence country. Good to have you on. How are you? Uh, unfortunately, yes. <laughs> uh, I wanted to agree with uh, something that Justin said earlier, that I do think that the current um, anti, um, uh, the quote, fake news does come from the 90s, Rush Limbaugh, you know, blaming the lamestream media and things like that. But I also wanted to ask you guys both if you think that this is possibly another side of the um, prevailing anti-intellectual bent on the right, 
where, uh, you know, if they don't agree with climate change or they don't agree with whatever, it's let, let us let's attack these academic institutions and what is what is a product of academic institutions uh, more than uh, journalism. Mm. So I wonder if you think that maybe this is a part of that same, um, you, you know, that same uh, bias that that, uh, you know, that they're attacking other institutional um, creations like science, journalism, whatnot. All right. Well, let's uh, let's discuss that. It's a good question. I mean, it's easy. It's easy to get on the stereotype bandwagon of saying, well, you know, these are all just a bunch of Southern hicks with uh, don't understand science. I mean, you can totally do that. But when you do that, you really minimize uh, a lot of people who don't what, necessarily what, what match the stereotype. That it would be an anti-intellectual way to just stigmatize an argument. There, my point exactly. Like what you just, you basically just summed up what I was trying to get at. It's so easy to do that and to blow it off as, well, they don't know. He doesn't even believe in evolution or oh, he doesn't know. He, he still wants to have prayer in class or he must also think that black people are weird. Like it's so easy for people to apply these things to people they don't know based on stereotypes that all the, a lot of this is just blowback of the same ilk. It's the same thing just coming the other direction. So now people on the left are a stereotype of uppity, nose in the air, overly educated, forgot what it's like to live in the dirt and get their hands dirty kind of lifestyles. And it's just this weird cycle. It also strikes me that it has to do with who's in power at the moment. And by that, I mean it is predominantly considered or thought that the, the liberal media is in charge of media right now or that's the predominant voice. So everything else is a, is a rebel voice, and they're there to call out the 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 big power and their and their terrible uh, misgivings. If this rotates all the way around, and in five ten years we end up with a predominantly conservative media, it'll just flip the other way. It'll just be the the liberal media talking about all the the false we failures. Now and, we have it now. Yeah, you know we have we have tremendous people on the left that that criticize corporate media, right? And right. and. There was, there was distrust from the left in, in terms of uh, mass media and things that are being held back. And by the way, that was the basis of a lot of these fake news sites that were running about you know Black Lives Matter issues, is that there is a predominantly corporate, you know, white-run media that wants to, uh, that has a vested interest in keeping the status quo going. Yeah. Uh, uh, th th these are, to me, understandable and far more universal issues about uh, resentment of control then anybody wants to let on. Everybody wants to make this into a blood versus crypt feud mm -hmm. uh, uh, without understanding that, wait, I, I don't feel comfortable with who holds all the power, right? And right. so now I'm going to make these strange bedfellows with elements of my society that I might not fully feel comfortable with as long as it gets to punish my enemy. Mm -hmm. And, you know, there was a great quote that I can't remember the, all the context for, but it was Christopher Hitchens, who one of my favorite authors. If you don't disagree with Christopher Hitchens, then you have not read enough of him. Uh <laughs> That uh, is speaking with a, a uh, with the uh, Bosnia uh, 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 skirmish back in the 90s. Yeah. And uh, I forget the, the, the sides escape me right now, but uh, asking one of the fighters about what they felt about American getting America getting involved. Uh, uh, he was ecstatic, saying uh, this is fantastic. Now we get to uh, uh, F the other side with Clinton's D. Right. <laughs> and that's what I feel that there are a lot of folks on the conservative side, many reasonable ones that are, that maybe not don't agree with everything that Donald Trump does. Don't agree with everything that, that is happening. Don't agree with everybody that are, that are uh, on uh, in certain pockets of Trump's support. 
but they are very, very excited that they get to F the liberal side with Trump's D. Yeah, no, I agree. I think that that's a big part of this and it's easy to forget. And also you, you, you alluded to something I just want to cement a little bit. And that is, at least I do this. I try to look for the, the, the human impetus for a thing that's happening on a larger scale. Because it always comes down to some basic human need, be that survival or reproduction or something. And I really do think that a lot of this does come down to power power dynamics. That's it. It's just power dynamics. Someone else has been in charge for too long. And even if it's an obscure, complex, uh, you know, difficult to describe phenomena like the media and what the media is and how many facets of there of are, especially in today's society where technically you and I are the media right now in a way, you know, we like are. Yeah. So it's a weird, it's a weird time to, to, to try to simplify this. But at the end of the day, it's a power thing and who's got it and who doesn't have it. And that is one of the most well-documented human things we have in our history as humans. In our recorded history, there are countless examples every day of power dynamics being shifted, uh, sometimes being toppled, sometimes being, uh, you know, trying to be toppled, but ends up being fruitless. Like that's what this is because it's controlling what people believe. And now we're seeing fringes of it go to such extremes as to make up things to get us to believe things so that it'll get us closer to what they ultimately want, which is control over the airwaves. And I don't mean literally just the airwaves. I mean control over who is telling you what to think, how to think, and where to think it. And I don't mean that as dastardly as it sounds. It sounds, you know, worse than no, I mean it. I, again, this conversation... The one that we're having right now, yeah. nationally, the meta, the micro, what, what, what our voices into your ears or what is happening uh, outside, the, the conversation about fake news, the questioning about what is real and what isn't, to me, is incredibly important. Right. It, it eliminates one of the most uh, uh, inefficient elements of our informational structure, which is gatekeepers, things that were necessary when we had limited means to transmit information and now are finding less and less power. They still exist. You still need them to create good content many times at the highest level, but they are not the only way that you decide things. There's a reason why, listen, I, I, I think I've told this on, I forget which podcast before, but I've never gotten more withering looks from people that I love and respect than when I was in J school, uh, and I would say that Matt Drudge was the most important journalist of my era. Right. Uh, you know, this is pre-memo gate. The idea that a story about a story that eventually impeached a president was spiked, was done, was over, was was not going to hit anybody's ears or eyes. And then a dude with a blog ran it and it became what it became to me is a sea change. It is an informational sea change. It is it is a, a, a democratization of news, whether or not you agree with who did it or, or or why it happened or whether or not Bill Clinton deserved to be impeached, the fact that that information got out is uh, uh, in, in, immeasurably important for, mm -hmm. for where we go forward. Now, we are building a new society. We have an ability to rewrite the rules. I hope we write better rules, but I don't think in my mind it is debatable to say that a more democratic media, a more media that is controlled or at least fact-checked by the people is not a better one. I completely, 100% on this. I mean, you and I have disagreements on different issues, but I, I can't, I this is absolutely somewhere I align with you on, and I don't, I, 
I don't know what it's going to look like. Like I've got my fears about what the future of, of all this is, because again, we're at such an exposed place that now we're not going, Oh, well, okay. Technology's made it. So uh, every cop has a body cam, but man, are we learning how intricate that can be and how complicated that can be? It isn't just simple. It isn't just, Oh, there's a camera. So now we have evidence. Now it's, we have a camera, but it had a weird angle, and that suggests this thing. And we're like, well, wait a minute. We haven't thought of that before. We don't have a lot of science on that. What does that mean? And we are entering a whole new place, and we are rewriting rules. And I, I, I hope that you're right. I hope that ultimately it's a more democratic system of, of the way we disseminate information. Um, it, you know, If you're looking at just 2017 as an example, it may not look great <laughs> from that angle, but... It yeah. does feel like growing pains to me. It feels like we're 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 doing a thing that is that needs we're paying dues that have to be paid to get where we have to get. Uh, and and fake news, I hate, I hate to say it, is probably part of it. Uh, yeah, yeah. So I think that's it. I think we've done uh, we've solved it once again. We've solved the problem. There's no more Nailed fake it. news. Uh, if you guys want to come back next time and hear us do that. Now here's the deal. Quick programming uh, note: no show next Tuesday. I will be on a plane. And on my way to a convention. Actually, you're going there as well, just later in the week. Yep. And uh, we'll be there. We may, if we get time, maybe we'll record a little one-off, something off to the side or something and put it on the feed. Uh, but that means uh, the the, the full-blown uh, cavalcade of awesome news and two yeah, hours well, of Google this? research. How about this? Yeah. The, maybe we'll get together and read some emails or something on, on one of the... Uh, one one of the one of the stuff that, that that's come in, or or we'll just discuss the mm -hmm. the kind of things we have on our list. But that means that you guys are going to have two full weeks to vote on this next topic. All right. And I'm going to send as my tribute, Edward <laughs> Snowden. Okay. Edward Snowden is your contribution. I'm going to yeah. say. Um. Let's see. That's going to put it just the second week or so of. Okay. So I'm just getting my time here. I'm going to say, I'm going to, okay. I'm going to say again, uh, did it last week, doing it again. The N word. No, you're not allowed. You're not allowed. <laughs> when it loses, you have to go, you have to go at least a week. All right. Online harassment. There we go. Online All right. harassment. So Snowden, Snowden would be, you know, uh, uh, I think that there's a lot of stuff, uh, just whistleblowers in general, online whistleblowers. Uh, I think we probably uh, uh, covered Julian Assange. That's going to plug in a little bit more oh, yeah. into uh, our current political state. Online harassment, obviously, we're going to focus on uh, uh, Gamergate and uh, uh, Twitter harassment and, and everything that goes into that. Oh, my gosh, Gamergate. I forgot. That's going to be a good one right here on the Twitch yeah. platform. So check that out, everybody. That'll be next week. No, sorry, week after next week. Yeah, uh, two full now. weeks to vote. Two full weeks to vote. You're going to be able to find that poll on our uh, Twitter accounts. That is Justin R. Young and at Scott Johnson. That is correct. So check that out. Uh, we'll have that retweeted out today. Again, Justin uh, R. Young at gmail.com or is it Robert Young? I forgot. Uh, uh, Justin Robert Young at gmail.com. Yep. If you want to email in, Justin R. Young on Twitter if you want to see the poll. Yeah, and if you want our website, go to frogpants.com slash unfriend me. I think that's going to do it for us. Thank you all for joining us. It's been a uh, treat once again. Uh, Justin, anything you'd like to say in final words? Anything you want to end with? You're fake news. <laughs> well, I am fake news if you really want to know the truth. Thank you all for <laughs> listening. We appreciate it. We'll be back. Take it easy. Be good to each other. We'll talk to you then.
This show is part of the Frog Pants Network. Frog Pants Network. Get more shows like this at frogpants.com. Diamond Club hopes you have enjoyed this program. <laughs>